My dad died. I miss my friends because of... I don't know how to tell my friends that. I want to help my friends. I don't know how. The pandemic has left me feeling very lonely. How can I best support students in my classroom? My uncle abused me. The morning meeting is meant to be a place to let you know that you are not alone. We can get through this together. So join us. Listen, learn, share your stories. This is the morning meeting. Today's guest on the morning meeting is Laura Medeo. Her father died suddenly in 2018, and since then, her grief journey has led her to starting Grief Hungry. It's a grief advocacy account on Instagram that urges cooking and recipe sharing, premised on the notion that cooking and mealtimes are some of the most overlooked aspects of grief. Her thoughtful, engaging account has inspired many. Featured in outlets like the Wall Street Journal and a handful of grief and self-help podcasts, Laura's cooking and straightforward, honest approach to grief has been making space in our hearts and our kitchens since she launched Grief Hungry on her dad's birthday last July. I am really excited to have her as a guest on the show today. So, Laura, thank you so much for coming on the morning meeting. I am really excited to talk to you. Thank you. I'm really excited as well. I'm happy to be here. I don't remember exactly how I found you. I know it was on Instagram, but um, you have such an interesting Instagram account. Why don't you just tell us a little bit about how that got started? Yeah, of course. And thank you for saying that. Mm-hmm. I, I do remember your DM and I was, you know, still taken aback and always appreciative to have people in this community, you know, want to speak to me and for me to learn from them. So I'm super grateful. So yeah, I, I run the Instagram account grief hungry, just one word. It has multiple meanings for me, which I can get into a little bit, but my backstory is I lost my dad back in August of 2018. So I'm coming up on three years, if you can believe it. I can't. Um, It still feels like it just happened yesterday. Um, We experienced a really sudden traumatic death. Um, My dad was involved in a road debris accident. So what that means for us, um, he was driving to work and a crowbar either came out of a truck or came up off of the road and came through his windshield. and killed him on impact. Um, So as you can imagine, you know, a horrible concept for us to wrap our head around that someone we love so much was taken from us in such an ugly, horrible way. Um, But obviously over the last couple of years, I've learned there's not necessarily a sweet or beautiful way, you know, to go. Um, And that I may not have handled that any better. Um, but it was really soon after I lost my dad, I, I started, uh, realizing how much grief really impacts people. Um, I had never been hit with grief like this before. I've never had such a close person pass. Um, especially someone like my dad, who I was really lucky to have a dad that I was super, super close with. And, you know, he, 
it's very stereotypical, but he was our hero. Um, he was, you know, who we wanted to impress and make proud and having that taken away from you is, um, a real challenge and grief started to impact me, you know, physically and mentally and emotionally. And I started to realize that I was very lucky in the time that I had from my employer at the time. So I started looking more into grief and bereavement leave policies. And like, I'm sure you're aware, so many of them are archaic for a lack of a better term, crap. <laughs> Um, a joke. Yeah, I could throw some swear words in there, but I'm sure those will come later on in this conversation. So I was really lucky. I had two weeks off um, originally from my employer, which was not a policy at the time, was just my employer being incredibly empathetic and supportive to me and the situation. And then after two weeks, they gave me even more time and, you know, offered special projects and like really had resources for when I returned. And I started to learn through other people um, close to me who have had experiences with loss that that is such a rarity, that those types of support systems and resources are just like not available to people. Um, You know, the standard bereavement leave is three days, even in 2021 for as forward thinking as we think our country is or can be. Most employers actually sometimes still ask for proof of obituary, um, making sure that they're like next of kin, making sure they're a close family member. And I just kind of went with that and and I ran with it. Um, I started a petition to increase bereavement leave. I started speaking to the media and I ended up writing a piece um, to a reporter at the Wall Street Journal. And she thought it was a great idea to cover this type of topic. And she came out with a story called, Does Your Boss Have Your Back When a Loved One Dies? Um, It was on the front page of the, uh, not the New York Times, the Wall Street Journal. And, you know, a picture of my dad and I and our story and, and how much it resonated with people. And, you know, there was a lot of back and forth about the support and not so much support of um, bereavement leave services and grief support. But this is a long-winded way of saying very early on, I wanted to put weight behind the topic of grief um, in the world, in the day-to-day, but also in the workplace. And I created the Instagram account Grief Hungry because I realized this was this almost like noun, but also like adverb, like I was grief hungry. I was, I was hungry to keep my dad's, you know, message and honor alive and make him proud. I was also hungry to make sure people didn't forget that, that this happened to him or that this happened to me. Um, I also just had this sense of feeling like I still want my grief to be like special to me. I want a platform or a way to talk openly and bluntly about how shitty I'm feeling physically, emotionally, mentally, and how much it's impacting relationships and whatnot. Um, But then most importantly, I started it too, because I realized that cooking was really therapeutic for me, almost cathartic. And I had always been a strong cook and, you know, foodie, I guess you could call it. Um, And my dad was a great cook. 
we're a bunch of Italians, so it's in our blood. Um, but I started realizing that cooking was making me feel better when I had the energy for it, chopping and paying close attention to detail, um, throwing myself into a recipe or just, you know, making something up on a whim. And that led to a little bit more research, which I realized there's a lot of grief therapy um, tied to cooking. And unfortunately, there's also an ugly side to grief as it pertains to food and appetites and, you know, negative body image. Um, yeah, I think that's my long-winded uh, description and sort of birthplace of how kind of this came to be. I loved it. I think when I first saw your Instagram, um, I was reminded of so many different things. Um, I remember, you know, food for me is definitely a way that I connect to my dad who died 18 years ago. Um, you know, I, I have a pickled tomato every Father's Day, um, one of his favorites. I, you know, I, I have very vivid memories of him standing at the you know, kitchen sink, he liked salt on his tomatoes, and he would stand there with his tomatoes and put a little salt on and I could like picture his back because he would just like wash a tomato, put some salt on and, you know, and, and I have found myself eating those foods, just to stay connected, not necessarily because it's something that I would have, not that I don't enjoy them, but um, it wasn't something that I was drawn to, but I just feel like it's a connection to him. Right. Um, yeah, I've, I've noticed that too. Like, like my dad loved, but it had to be red sauce. He was not like a butter garlic sauce guy. And I eat everything. I'm not picky, but kind of along the same lines of what you're saying on, on days like his birthday or father's day or something, if I do happen to go out to eat or something, I am maybe doing it to honor him. I'm not sure, but like, I will make an effort to eat something maybe he would have, or that he would have picked on the menu. Yep. I think a lot of people do that. Like, and I, I think it's a really nice thing to do to think about how am I going to remember my person on special days, on the anniversary of their death, on their birthday, you know, those are sometimes really challenging days. And we, you know, I remember very early on in my grief experience that sometimes those days would go by and I, and the end of the day would come and I'd say, I didn't do anything. Like, right. I, I can't believe that I didn't include him in some way in my day. Um, and then I did think about, you know, maybe there can be a meal or, you know, going to Dairy Queen, which is his, you know, he loved Dairy Queen. Uh, who doesn't? Who doesn't? Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, like on special days, I think about like, I'm going to honor him. I'm going to remember him by going to Dairy Queen, by getting the vanilla ice cream with the chocolate hard magic shell. And, you know, um, so I do think that there are, there's a lot of ways that people can incorporate food uh, into their grief experience and, you know, stay connected to the person that died. Yeah, I think those types of kind of acts of service, like to honor them, mm -hmm. are sort of mimicked to, because so much of Grief Hungry is also encouraging the community to replicate recipes. Um, and that's the opportunity I love to provide people is, uh, you know, your dad's pickled tomato recipe, for example, if, if you were to submit that. I give you a platform to do that so that it gives others the opportunity to make it. And I haven't quite 
figured out how to articulate what that feeling means to people. But when I see just a Joe Schmo sharing a recipe that they've gotten from my page, that's, you know, to honor someone's mom who passed away from cancer and it's a coffee cake, it really means the world to them. Um, And it sort of gives them that gentle reminder that like, no, you're not in this alone as far as missing your person. Your person can be honored in like a multitude of ways and by many other people. And it's nice that something sort of less like taboo, something like food makes that easier for people to do and and connect to that way. Absolutely. I wish I could share the recipe, but my dad did not make them. He would just buy them. Oh, he would just buy them. Well, I guess I need to buy one. I've never had a pickled tomato. (laughs) Like they look like a green tomato. Oh yeah. Yep. Um, In a jar. Yeah. Right. Uh Uh-huh. Yeah. You probably have had them, but anyway. I'll have to have another soon. Right. (laughs) Um, The other thing that I think, you know, as far as food goes, not just to honor the person, but so much, you know, I love, you know, how you use this play on words with grief hungry, like that you're hungry for, you know, connection for. um, And I also think that we can use food as a way to stay connected to get the support that we need. Um, from the people around us, you know, I remember, um, I don't know if it was six months or a year after he died. Um, I invited like all of the people in my life that I thought were so supportive in different ways, you know, some were professionals and some were friends and family and just wanted to have them over for dinner to say thank you for, you know, getting me through a really tough time. But I think that that's another way that people can use food to stay connected to Uh, to support systems. Oh, absolutely. I've even been blown away. I, I had one young girl reach out to me that her and her friends from college, unfortunately, a handful of them um, have experienced some type of loss. They, they all get together and have kind of like a grief trip. Um, And she let me know that like they were planning on making a handful of of recipes from the page that had been submitted by, you know, total strangers. And there's real thought that's put into it because it's, it's coming from the hands of someone that's, you know, struggling Mm -hmm. um, most of the time. And that's something I try to make kind of clear to people sometimes is the recipe doesn't always necessarily have to be straight from the recipe book of who you lost you know my dad did not write anything down there are no recipes down and I wish we had there's there's so much I don't feel like I'm getting quite right but it's a tale as old as time you never realize that you're gonna have your time cut short with someone um but what I try to make clear to people is some of these recipes are just what everyday grievers use like you said either to honor someone or to get themselves through the day. Um, So I've had people submit like very simple, you know, pasta dishes or salads or soups. um, And it's really just saying, hey, this is what I made. And I might've eaten it four days a week for six months to get me through that first half a year after I lost my mom or whoever it was. Um, This 
is not necessarily advice, but this is what worked for me. So I'm going to go ahead and, and share this with people. And I find that, you know, so beautiful. Or I have someone, you know, share a recipe that they made for their grandparent or parent that was like incredibly sick. Um, and it was, you know, the only thing their grandparent could make, whether it was tomato soup and grilled cheese or whatever. Um, I just, I love the concept that, you know, food can still be messy and simple, but can still be nutritious and give you some serious comfort. Absolutely. This podcast is brought to you by Inner Harbor, providing support and education to grieving students everywhere. Inner Harbor provides workshops and trainings for staff and students, teaching you how to support other grievers. So if you are interested in learning more about how we can educate your class, your fraternity, your sorority, your team, your club, or your agency, go to www.inner-harbor.org to learn more. You can also subscribe to our weekly newsletter and check out all of the other services we offer. If you're enjoying the podcast, you can also sponsor an episode by checking out the sponsorship page on the website. And if you're feeling extra generous, you can go to Apple or Audible Podcasts and leave a review. Now back to the show. But I also think, you know, on the flip side of that, food can also be triggering for some people and food's not always healthy. Um, So I don't know, you know, I mean, I, I find it so interesting talking to you because I know you're not like in the field professionally, but right. you clearly know a lot, um, not just from personal experience, but you clearly have done some research. But tell us, what's your thoughts about that? You know, nutrition and grief. Um, sure. From what I've read or from what's been provided to me and what I put out in the open, I always make it clear, like you said, I'm, I'm not a professional. I can't give um, health diet advice, nor could I give um, mental health advice, but what I witnessed as a griever myself, um, and there's a lot of articles out there about it is I am watching the Sopranos for the first time. So this is the best example I can give is, um, someone passes away in the show and, and they call it the ZD patrol. So everyone shows up at the house and there's, there's eggplant lasagna, there's chicken cutlets, there's finger sandwiches, there's potato salad, pasta salad, every, you know, carb, bread, whatever you can imagine, what people would call the standard comfort food. Um, and I don't think I call any it the casserole carpool. Oh, I love that. That's exactly what it is. <laughs> and is it essential for some people? Absolutely. Is it very important for people to have that? And so well received, of course. Um, but, and it's not necessarily good or bad food, but it's sort of overwhelming. Um, and I just know from my personal experience, my sister and I, so it's just myself and an older sister as siblings that lost my dad. Um, my sister and I, and my mom, we were just like craving a vegetable. We were sick of sandwiches and we were sick of pastas and we were sick of lasagnas and people mean so well, but our bodies were kind of craving something else. Um, and I really don't know the science behind it, but I'm aware of the fact that I was in sort of survival mode. I was in like fight or flight and I, I didn't have um, 
the opportunity to like go run out and get a salad if I wanted to. Um, but as far as whether your body like needs nutrients with, within the grieving process, like, yes, that's a given from, from what I've read, there's so many types of food that you could be consuming that could help you in, you know, your sleep patterns, your stressors, your hormones, et cetera. But I really try to leave that to the professional. So for example, I do have um, a connection to like a dietitian who I've shared some easy freezer meals for um, my community on the page that like lives on the page if people are looking. Because I know, and maybe you've experienced this too, there is unfortunately some negative like body image associated with grief sometimes. And I've seen both spectrums from folks reaching out to me. I've had some people reach out and say they've, they're completely disinterested in food. Um, they're on the verge of anorexia. Um, or I've had others reach out and say like they are on this vicious cycle of binge and emotional eating and they, and they don't know how to keep it in check. And I wish I personally could provide advice with that, but I never try to be a, a health professional in a space that I, you know, really can't provide. Um, but I always try to say and, and be empathetic to them that I feel like I have experienced, you know, both. I've experienced the feeling of intense stress and sadness that leads to that weight loss. And then in turn, that feeling of, you know, my life feels like it's kind of gone to shit, but then I also don't feel good about the way I look. Um, and that's a horrible kind of combination of feelings to have. And unfortunately I see it a lot in the widow community. Um, and when I do do that research and reading, especially early on, it's widows don't know how to cook meals for just one. They don't know how to grocery shop for just one. Um, it's almost triggering to go to the grocery store for a handful of folks to walk by aisles of food that remind them and widowers um, that remind them of their significant other, whoever that may be. Um, so I do try to provide for that community. I wouldn't necessarily say that it's health or medically backed though. Mm -hmm. I, um, you brought up a good point about the grocery store. I feel like that is one of the most triggering places for people. And it's, I think one of the reasons it's triggering is because they're so surprised by it. Mm -hmm. uh, so they're not, you know, when you know, you're going to the, you know, Giants game, and that was your person's favorite team, you can prepare for that kind of thing and know like this might be difficult. Um, right. But people don't necessarily think that going to the grocery store is going to be so difficult and then walking by their favorite cereal, or picking up their the coffee that you'd buy only for them and then realizing that you don't need to buy that anymore is really, that's really hard. Yeah, those kind of griefy moments that just like slap you right in the face are a challenge. I am that oddball that my entire life, even as a little, little kid, like loved errands, loved going to the grocery store. So I'm relieved that I still find like, it's somewhat therapeutic and I find some like solace in going to the grocery store and, and picking out produce. And it's kind of my time for me to like look around and whatnot. But I've heard from 
so many people that have had such a challenge um, at the grocery store, but also in grocery stores in their hometown. So it's triggering for them um, because they've become rather introverted since they've experienced loss. This past year obviously has made that even more of a challenge. So running into people um, is a fear or a concern. I've had multiple followers message me in response to something I've shared to let me know that they drive like 45 minutes out of the way to go to a different grocery store, a different Trader Joe's, whatever that may be, um, just to make sure they don't have to have those types of conversations. And I can absolutely empathize with that. Um, I luckily am, you know, an hour plus away from home. So I don't experience it as much as, you know, my sister or mom do, but I distinctly remember very soon after my dad's accident, I was at like CVS and um, I saw someone, an older gentleman from our hometown that, you know, you would have expected would say like, hi, Laura, I'm so sorry about your dad. And instead it was just like, he saw a deer in headlights. Um, so I unfortunately have since kind of interpreted that as like, oh, I must just have that look. I must just have that when I'm home, that like dark, sad look of like, oh, that, that that's that family, you know, that that happened to. Mm-hmm. Um, and that sucks. And so many of us, you know, have to kind of try to learn to avoid that or learn through help of like therapy or a professional with like how to manage those conversations. Yeah. And I think, you know, for those of you who are listening, who are thinking about people that you know, who've experienced a loss, that is a particularly common experience where people say that they see someone at the grocery store, and then they turn and walk the other way, because you're like the plague, like as if it's contagious. Um, So people aren't necessarily expecting to see you at the grocery store. And there you are, they're not prepared, they don't know what to say to you. It's typically not that they are, uh, they don't want to be supportive. They literally don't know what to say and they, they're fearful. Um, so they tend to turn the other way, but it feels so incredibly insulting and isolating to the griever. So it definitely does, you know, PSA to all of those people who want to be supportive, walk towards the griever. Right. And we are not this like, deep, dark hole. We more than likely, at least I personally, when I'm at the grocery store, like you can ask me how I am, but I might not want to talk about it. I, but, and didn't reach out and, you know, weren't thoughtful in there, um, to not be an avoider because it just leads to, you know, a really bad pattern. And that's, that's one thing I'm super proud that grief hungry has kind of created is, um, People, I think through my rather blunt honesty and truth about my own grief, they find it relatable, but then also so much of what I'm saying is educating those that have not experienced grief in their life quite yet. And I don't know if I do it consciously sometimes. I think, you know, maybe... I do it because I feel like I have a bone to pick with, with people that, you know, weren't supportive 
and didn't reach out and, you know, weren't thoughtful in their uh, response to my loss. So much of what I share sometimes, it's not finger pointing. Instead, it's like kind of what I wish had happened. And like, here's just some very simple steps um, you could take to be a better resource. And that honestly makes me almost more proud is when I have someone reach out that says, hi, you know, I'm not a griever myself. I've never lost someone seriously. I love your page. I follow it because my, you know, roommate from college just lost her dad. And I'm just wondering if you think X, Y, and Z. Um, first of all, I don't know why anyone thinks I'm capable of providing exactly what someone should do. I, I don't, I always start it with like, I cannot give tactical advice, but like, here's what I wish had happened. And, you know, here's a couple of things you could do. Um, Cause unfortunately it's just not, it's so cliche, but it, it's just not something you can prepare for and no one knows the right thing to do. And like you were just saying in the instances at the grocery store, people don't mean to be, at least I hope, so cold and awkward um, in those instances, but people don't know what to say. Um, But what I try to educate non-grievers about is like, we don't know what to say. We really don't know what to say. And maybe don't always believe us when we're short and just say that we're fine. Um, Because sometimes we just don't have the emotional capacity to like spit out really what we're feeling. Sometimes it's just too far gone. Um, And that's kind of what I say to folks that reach out that feel like, you know, their friends or family have disassociated with them since I try to say like, look, I can't tell you what to do. If if someone has walked out of your life and it's for the better, I think there's no need to claw on to someone and keep them around. But I personally wish I didn't sort of cut so many people off and become so introverted. But at the same time, I didn't know what I was doing. I was just protecting myself. Um, And it kind of just gets to a point where when, when someone hasn't been a part of these hard conversations for a period of time, it's almost too much to like get them caught up to speed with what you've been through. Um, Cause I'm sure like you can relate to and understand like grief changes really quickly. It would be like you know, very early on, if someone didn't, my dad's accident was in August. If someone didn't reach out to me until October, November or something, I had no idea how to formulate what had happened to me mentally, physically, whatever, over those last couple of months. It was like too, too much. But at the same time, I was at fault for not responding to people and not keeping them kind of up to speed. Interesting. Right we do have some obligation and yet, you know, really our obligation is to ourselves to make sure that right. we're doing what's right for ourselves. So yeah, it's a very delicate balance because if you don't respond, people stop reaching out. Um, yes, it's a real, it's a challenge. It is. It is. Thank you for sharing that. I have to say, I know you keep saying that you're not a professional. I always <laughs> say that, you know, um, people, you know, will call me and say, you're the expert. 
I'm only an expert in my own grief. I'm not an expert in your grief. And, um, you know, everything that you're sharing, I do, I, you know, I feel like I'm learning from you. I think we can all learn from each other, which is why I, you know, asked you to be on the show in the first place. But um, I really encourage people to follow you on Instagram, because I do think that, you know, not only do you normalize the experience for, you know, for so many people, but there is a lot to learn from each other. And you, you do that in a very nice way. Thank you. That really means a lot. It's, it's like so bittersweet because I, I wish neither of us had to have gone through what we went through, but it's sort of, you know, they say there's at times some sort of like sense of resiliency or um, becoming like after you experience like a, whether it's a loss or just something traumatic, like in general. Yep. Um, and I feel, and you probably feel similarly too with, you know, your organization and this podcast now is you kind of feel a unspoken sense of like responsibility to show up for these individuals now. Um, and it's kind of a saving grace for yourself too. Um, I've, like you said, I, I only know my own grief and grief hungry gave me a place to throw that up to the world and not be concerned, um, that people would find what I was sharing about grief and loss on my personal page to be too harsh or too dark or too emotional. Um, cause I hate the concept that People think that sharing and talking about your person and and your loss um, is attention seeking. It's not, (laughs) you know, for people that are listening to this, that are maybe dealing with someone who's struggling with a loss. If you think they talk about them too much, if they're too hung up on it, they're not. They don't have this person to communicate these feelings to anymore. And it's just this gigantic ball of words and thoughts and emotions and regrets and feelings of guilt and wishes um, that just come out at different times. And yeah. So tell me a little bit, how are you doing now? How do you, I mean, you know, we're hopefully at the tail end of a pandemic, but how are you doing? It's almost three years. So you're coming up on an anniversary this summer and how are you coping? I think I sometimes think I'm doing well. I think the first couple of years, and this is not a threat to people that are like new to grief, but the first couple of years for me personally, first two, I I suppose, were a serious challenge. Um, And I had to navigate a lot of different things. I had never, you know, experienced depression before. I had never sought help for anxiety before. Um, I, you know, was experiencing panic attacks and um, just like spouts of sleeplessness and like severe pain, um, like chronic physical pain. And, you know, I was a college athlete in school. I was busy and um, you would have thought had like muscle pain then. I cannot even describe what the muscle pain was like from grief. So, Going through that for the first year and a half plus, I would say, was a real challenge for me. But I feel like I 
have sort of developed like a suitcase of resources. I don't know another way to put it. Um, I've really learned to put myself first. Um, I think like we were saying before, I, there's feelings of regret. I have sometimes of protecting myself, um, and just trying to keep my sort of inner circle small. And I would communicate feelings to just a few people. I'm very lucky that I do in that little suitcase have, you know, a very strong relationship with my boyfriend that I live with, who's been there with me the entire time. My mom and my sister are incredibly strong, um, individuals and as a unit where like even stronger. And I know so much of why I'm doing okay is because I have that group of people behind me. Um, so it, I just think it's important to point out when someone asks how I'm doing, because I have the privilege of having that. And it just totally breaks my heart to hear from people through grief hungry, um, that don't have those types of support systems. But um, I think to get back to the suitcase concept, like it's crazy to think of all you have to do to kind of manipulate feeling better. But I've been going to the same gym now for, you know, almost three years. I go every single day and it makes me feel significantly better. It makes me feel stronger. It makes me feel capable, but it also helps me with sleep. Um, I'm super transparent with my primary care doctor who has been a godsend throughout this for me. So anytime someone reaches out on grief hungry about what they should do about, you know, their feelings of hopelessness and sadness and um, depression, I always am pushing, not just because I feel obligated to say like, I'm not a health professional, but it's because I don't think I would be where I am if I didn't communicate those things to her. Um, because I never have been to therapy. I've never seen a therapist. I still I think I'm about ready to go, um, but I still haven't gone. And I think part of that is because I had such an empathetic, like emotionally connected primary care doctor. Um, but she's helped me, you know, with the physical pain, with the mental issues. She set me up, you know, with physical therapy and a neurologist for my headaches. Um, but of course I have good days and bad days. I think I would say that the good days are starting to outweigh the bad. Um, and I think a lot of that now has to do with just feeling more matured and kind of more myself, but I'm going through life changes. I'm, you know, I just turned 30 two weeks ago. I'm looking to buy my first condo with my boyfriend. And there's instances like that where I think I'm doing just fine. And then I leave a condo and I think to myself, you know, I really wish that my dad could have come and looked at this with me. My little five, six, but like very loud, blunt, outspoken Italian dad would probably be at the open house, like saying things I wish he wouldn't say out loud and embarrassing me, but he would be like blunt and honest and be really, you know, guiding me through those processes. So I definitely like have moments where I'm breaking down from that. But I think I can associate, like I said, the, the health part of that suitcase. Um, and then I think so much of my kind of guidance and support has been found through this online community. Um, 
kind of probably back to how you said you found me. I, I just started searching like the grief hashtag, um, soon after my dad died, like before I ever created this page, I was just looking for like pieces of literature or writing or quotes or something. I wasn't necessarily looking for humans to connect to. Um, and it's really become that. And I've, I've been more transparent with strangers on the internet about what I'm going through and what I'm feeling than I have with friends I've known for 20 years. Um, and that's not my friends that I've known for 20 years is fault. It's, it's a blessing that an online community like Instagram um, can allow for such like natural, open and honest conversations. But anytime someone's like new to grieving or, you know, a few months in, I always try to encourage like not necessarily like too much social media use, which is hard to police anyways, but finding certain pieces of writing and quotes and feelings on Instagram and being able to share those really opened up my kind of like communication channels with friends. Um, and that's what I've kind of found grief hungry has done for others. If I put something like very raw and blunt out there about how, you know, grief is giving me migraines and I'm chipping all my teeth. Um, people can then share that on their own pages and, you know, they're, friends and family, it's not necessarily a cry for help, but it's a way for them to share like, Hey, like this is, this is actually what grief can potentially do to people. Yeah. And we need that eye-opening kind of experience sometimes. Absolutely. Well, I really do encourage people to go find you on Instagram. Is that the best way if they want to reach out to you directly? Is that the best way for them to find I'm at grief hungry on Instagram and Facebook and I'm just grief hungry one word at gmail.com. If you need to email me for any reason, um, it's an eventual goal to have a website. I'm putting that together now. I was kind of hoping for father's day potentially. Um, but I did launch grief hungry itself actually last July on my dad's birthday. So maybe I'll do that. It's just, you know, I, I do have a full-time job um, in addition to Grief Hungry. So it can be, that side of things can be what we can call work. Um, <laughs> the other parts are not work to me. Thank you so much for sharing your story and being here with us today. It's been really nice to talk with them. Thank you. I appreciate it so much. Thank you so much to Laura for being on the show today. Next week, I'll be interviewing Sonia Charday. She's a Chicago native who currently lives in Duluth, Georgia with her 13-year-old son. Sonia Chardet shares her experience of trauma as a child and how that impacted her relationships when she was in college. She's a really engaging speaker. I'm really excited for you to talk, to listen to her. Um, She's a really, like I said, engaging speaker. Uh, So join us next week on The Morning Meeting. That's all for today. Good morning to all of you.